If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to where our brother was reading, uh, there in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I want you to notice verse uh, 28. We see there how that King Agrippa said unto God's servant, the Apostle Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a believer. Now, the word Christian is in the Bible all of two times. And sadly, it's a word that's much abused and ill-applied in our day. So much so, in fact, that the word Christian has become mostly meaningless. And that because everything and everyone in religious circles nowadays goes by that name, by the name Christian. Almost persuaded, Agrippa said. He was almost persuaded to be a disciple. Almost persuaded to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost, beloved, almost to be persuaded is to be altogether to be lost and dead in sins and trespasses. My friend, almost persuaded is not believing, and not persuaded is to not be a believer. My friend, if you meet God in eternity almost persuaded, you will be found forever damned in your sins under the just judgment of God's wrath. For to die in your sins is to be raised in your sins. And should you rise in your sins, you'll answer for them before God. For it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. But being a believer, (laughs) well, that's to be fully persuaded like Abraham of old, fully persuaded that of all that God had promised, he's able to perform. Uh, Keep your place there in Acts 26 and turn with me to Philippians, if you would. Philippians chapter 1. Now, this word uh, persuaded that we find in our portion this morning is also the same word that we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes there, being confident. That is, being persuaded of this very thing, that God which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident, I'm persuaded that he is able to do all that he has promised, just like Abraham of old confessed. And this is uh, Romans 4.21, if you're you're taking notes. It says there, speaking of Abraham, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Being fully persuaded that of all that God has promised, God's able to accomplish. Beloved, as believers, we're not almost persuaded. Rather, we're altogether persuaded that in salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. So what's your your persuasion, my friend? What's your persuasion? You know, um, there's another portion of Scriptures where Paul uses the same, uh, conveys the same thing, uh, being confident, being persuaded. He says there uh, in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Philippians, Uh, doubtless. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. And he went on to say, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my, my Lord. Doubtless, in this flesh no good thing dwells. And he goes on to say pretty much that as he continues in that portion of, of Philippians chapter 3. And so, 
the question we can put to ourselves, or I can put to you, what is your persuasion? I'm persuaded that he's able to save me to the uttermost. Indeed, he's able to save, also to save his people to the uttermost, all those that come unto God by his Son, Christ Jesus the Lord, seeing Christ ever liveth to make intercession for them, for, for his people. And we see Paul preaching the gospel before Festus, the governor, Agrippa the king, and many others before the seat of judgment of this pagan court, before this pagan Roman king. And Paul counts and considers himself to be happy, blessed of God, even though he's been falsely accused and brutally beaten. He says in verse 2, there in Acts chapter 26, I think myself happy, I think myself blessed, blessed of God, and, and that's what that word means, blessed of God. You see, Paul, like the other other apostles, they counted it a blessing and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they considered it a blessing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the, for the gospel. And Paul plainly declared the gospel before his captors, how that he was once a lost religious Pharisee, how, that it, how it was that God revealed the gospel to him in that, that bright light. He says in Acts 26, verse 9, I verily thought myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I thought to do many things against the Christ of God, Jesus the Lord, which thing I also did. I didn't just think about it. I didn't just think about doing many contrary things. I did many things against him. In Jerusalem and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I said, Amen. And I gave my voice against them. Verse 11. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And so Paul declared to his captors had at the, how that at the height of his rebellion and and uh, remember what Paul wrote to young Timothy. Don't let's not forget this. He writes in First Timothy, chapter one. He says there in verse thirteen. You know when he was uh, uh, a zealous religious man without knowledge, in in darkness and in ignorance, he thought he was doing God's service by killing Christians and putting them in jail. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Before I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, Timothy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so Paul declared his past as Saul of Tarsus. He declared to his captors how at the height of his rebellion, God revealed the gospel unto him and of how God persuaded him to believe the gospel of his dear son. And Paul says over there in Acts 26, when that bright light from heaven knocked everyone to the ground, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ spoke, spoke to me. And then verse 15, Saul asked this question, who art thou, Lord? Who art thou? 
And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, the, the, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Sanctified by faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul was preaching the gospel before the people in this court, he was rudely interrupted by Festus the governor. And he said to him in verse 24, Paul, this is the latter part of that verse, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. Paul, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Much learning hath made you mad. I was once before a, a Festus of sorts, a Festus of Calvary, we'll call him. And uh, I remember he said to me, Joseph, you've been brainwashed. That's what he told me. And I said, not only has my brain been washed, <laughs> but I've been thoroughly washed with the blood of Christ. And I'm not mad, but I have the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord. Acts 26, verse 25. But Paul said in reply, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. So what do we need to hear? What do we need to hear, Allison? We need to hear the words of truth spoken with soberness, spoken in a serious way. And Paul continued to declare the truth of the gospel by speaking the words of truth, by saying the same things that the law and the prophets did declare unto them. He says in verse 22, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Um, from time to time, I do encounter Mohammedans, those who follow Muhammad, and uh, I want them to understand very clearly. Um, if I'm there in Mecca, God's sovereign, he can do anything he want, wants to, right? <laughs> and I happen to be there with Matt. In that building, have you seen that huge mosque in Mecca, that huge building? If Matt and I were the only people there, if, if I truly am believing on the Son of God, if, if Matt's truly believing on the Son of God, if we're brothers in Christ, we're the only men there that believe the prophets. <laughs> Think about that. They like to boast how they believe the prophets, and not a one of them believe the prophets. Not a one of them. How do I know that? By God's grace, beloved. Um, look, look what, uh, listen to the excitement <laughs> with which Philip runs to Nathaniel. It's, uh, there's no exclamation point here, but, but it's, uh, it's almost implied. It says there in John chapter 1, and I'll begin reading there in uh, verse 45. <laughs> Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of, him of, of, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Philip's um, theology wasn't all there. You know, he didn't say the Christ. He said the uh, 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, but it, he was intimating the Christ for, for certain. We all don't speak very well. Do, do, I mean, we, we all put our foot in our mouth, so to speak, as it were. And then it says, Nathaniel said unto him, can anything, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip, in effect, is saying, um, if you want to come and hear the Christ of God, uh, you come and see. You're going to have to come and see for yourself. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Behold, one of my beloved sheep washed throughly my blood and made the very righteousness of God in me through my doing and dying. And every believer is an Israelite indeed, washed by the blood and made the very righteousness of God in Christ. And so here in the book of Acts, we're seeing a continuation of this same declaration. Remember Acts chapter 10, verse 43? To him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And Paul says in verse 23 that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Remember, he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again for our justification. You see, my friend, every prophet sent of God was sent to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord said to those Pharisees, you are those which search the scriptures, but they are they which testify of me. And you who trust in yourselves will not come to me that you might have life. And then the Apostle Paul fixes his attention, his gaze toward King Agrippa. It says there, I'll just repeat this, verse, uh, latter part of verse 25, he's responding to Festus. He says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness, that Christ should suffer that, that, that he's the fulfillment of everything that has been written before in the prophets. Verse 26. And then he turns his gaze to King Agrippa. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. These things are not hidden from you, King Agrippa. For this thing was not done in a court, in a corner. This was not done in a, in a, in a, a hidden way kind of way. Now, evidently, Agrippa had some knowledge of the record of Holy Scripture and of the Jewish history and of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul declared the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And remember, the Lord's ministry was public. His miracles, his teachings, or rather, I should make that singular, his teaching. Uh, it's not a plural. It's all of it or none of it. His crucifixion and resurrection, they, they were all public. I mean, none of these things were done in a corner. And then in verse 27, Paul says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Do you believe the record of, that God hath given of his son? And Paul said, I know you do. I know you have knowledge of such things. I mean, surely you believe. Verse 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a believer. It's almost as if Agrippa was saying, Do you think you're going to persuade me to be like you? Do you know who I am? I'm a king. Do you think by telling me about Jesus Christ, the one that you say fulfilled the scriptures, do you think by what you've said about him 
the Christ of God, that you would really persuade me to follow him and to be like this despised man from Nazareth, to be a follower, to be a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul, don't you know who I am? I'm a king. I'm not going to stoop to be like you. A Christian in chains? You're under arrest, and as you stand before me, I have the power to kill you or the power to let you go, Paul. Come to your sense, man, because your being a Christian hasn't brought you anything but grief, heartache, and persecution. I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be a Christian. And it seems like King Agrippa is mocking the Apostle Paul. But notice what Paul does. He doesn't say, well, King Agrippa, I know you're a great and mighty king, and it sure would be nice. I mean, it would really be uh, a wonderful thing if I was like you. I mean, that would make me happy. But he doesn't do that. Rather, Paul turns the tables on Agrippa and he says in verse 29, I would to God, I would to God that not only thou, but that Festus, Felix, Bernice, and all also that hear me this day were both almost and altogether by the grace of God such as I am, except for these bonds, except, except for these chains. I wouldn't want you to be put in chains, although you've put me in chains. And notice the Apostle Paul didn't say, I wish I was rich like you, or I wish uh, I sat on the throne, or I wish I had power like you, King Agrippa. Paul doesn't say that. Rather, he says just the opposite. You see, Paul desired for all that heard him to be blessed with the gospel like he was, and not to be almost like him, but all together like him. I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. You see, there's a big difference between almost and altogether. There's a big difference between the two. Big difference. And Paul desired for them that heard him to be blessed with the gospel just like he was and be a sinner saved by the grace of God alone. Look at this uh, blessedness, blessedness he has in the gospel. Uh, verse 18. What an undeserved privilege to be used as an instrument in the Lord's hand. Verse 18. To open their eyes. That's what God has done for me. And you who believe, beloved, he's opened our eyes that our darkness would be turned to light, that we may receive forgiveness of sins. King Agrippa, I wish you were just like me, having the light turned on, having deliverance from darkness to light, having received the forgiveness of sins, having an eternal inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be totally sanctified and complete before God in Christ Jesus, the Lord, God's Son. I wish you were just like me. I don't want to be almost... I don't want you to be almost like me. <laughs> I want you to be just like me. I want you to be altogether like me in those blessings and receive the gospel. And so what happened? Well, it says in verse 30, there in the last couple of verses of this chapter 26, and when he had thus spoken, when Paul had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, He's preaching what the Scriptures say. He's saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say which should come. 
and then they came to this conclusion according to Roman law. This man doeth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Now the record of Scripture is silent on the Apostle's death. In fact, the record of Scripture says nothing other than what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy, the second epistle to young Timothy. He writes in verse 4 of chapter 2, or rather chapter 4, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I'm willing to depart, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so we know after two years in Rome, he gave his life for the gospel. Even though according to Roman law, he did nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Nevertheless, they unjustly executed him against the law of the land. Verse 32. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not applied unto Caesar. Nevertheless, it was determined beforehand that God would send him to Rome. God determined and appointed for him to preach at two years. And so, too, God determined and appointed when he would die. And most people think he was beheaded in Rome. And Festus, Felix, Bernice, and Agrippa, they were not convinced. They were not persuaded. Now, the, they needed the mercy of God in Christ. And having never received the Lord Jesus Christ, they just walked away from the gospel. But being a believer, that's to be fully convinced and powerfully persuaded in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You see, it's by the power of God you believe the gospel. And that because in mercy, in grace, and in God's kindness to you, you've been made to see how that there's no other hope. I mean, when God grants you faith and repentance, and there's no other option but to repent and to believe the gospel. I mean, that's, that's what happens when he grants both repentance and faith. It's, it's not a decision. It's not a choice. It's a confession. He's put you in the light and the countenance of his well-pleasing son and in the light of God's perfect man, in the light of God's well-pleasing man. Um, we have no other option. We, just fl we flee to him. We run to him. It's not a proposition. <laughs> God doesn't make propositions. He commands his people to come. And uh, I know you're like me. Uh, every believer has those anxious moments like, am I one of his people? <laughs> am I one of his elect? Well, he describes them pretty plainly, doesn't he? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And God makes that that makes us to know that in the dust. And that's where he keeps us. He keeps us in that place where we, we're made to know continually and, and in ever-increasing ever ways that we're great sinners. And at the very same time, <laughs> he comforts us in, in, in making us to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great Savior he sent into the world to save his people. He shall not fail. Whatsoever he does prospers. I mean, all, all the merciful times that God teaches us at the conclusion of Matthew chapter 28 in our Lord's great high priestly prayer. He has all power in heaven and in earth. What a comfort to know that our Lord and God has all power. Now we'll, uh, we'll conclude our, our study there. Uh, I would like to just turn and show you uh, those portions. I just brought to mind uh, Matthew chapter 28 
Beloved, the Father gave his son commandment to come into the world to save his people, and he won't lose one of them. He says here, and this is uh, speaking about our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Matthew chapter 17, when they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them. This is the Son of God, the Christ of God, who was, what's that uh, verse in uh, Romans 4.25, say again. I want to read that. He was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And it says here, The Lord Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 17, I wonder how many uh, people you might know that are Roman Catholic. Maybe, maybe a few. <laughs> can can I read to you a a prayer from my priest? <laughs> if they're his sheep, they'll hear his voice. <laughs> These are the words of our great high priest, beloved. Our Lord Jesus Christ said these words in John chapter seventeen. These words spake Jesus and lifting up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. How come? That he should give eternal life to as many. Not one more, not one less. To as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, so thankful that you sent your Son into the world to save sinners, that you would condescend and stoop to lowly maggots like we are, and that you would Record your word in a book that we could read and know your will. Thank you for sending your son into the world that we might know your will, Father. Thank you for teaching us that you didn't send him by accident. You didn't send him with some happenstance mission. But you gave him commandment to come into the world to give his life a ransom for all your people. And we rejoice. We never tire of singing of, of his praises. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Thank you, Father. Um, please uh, look upon us. We're just flesh. All flesh is grass. And I'm so thankful you, you, you know our frame. And I do ask you, uh, through the, the mediator you have given to us, Father, in the covenant of grace, uh, Jesus Christ the righteous, um, we, we cry out to you once again, have mercy on us. 
Thank you for washing us truly and completely of all our sins. And and thank you for teaching us that through the, the cross, your darling son, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in, in him. Uh, thank you for teaching us that salvation is of the Lord. Thank you for teaching us how that all glory, all honor, all praise, all attribution for physical life and spiritual life, everything that we have, everything that we know, everything that we will know as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, all all that glory redounds to your Son. Please uh, continue to bless us in, in the coming uh, worship, Father, both in song and in your word. Thank you, Father. It's in your Son's matchless, precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 